Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's You'll never have a problem-free life, ever. You'll never drift off to sleep on the wings of this thought. My, today came and went with no problems in the world. This headline will never appear in the paper. We have only good news to report. You might be elected as president of Russia. You might discover a way to email pizza and become a billionaire. You might be called out of the stands to pinch hit when your team is down to its final out-of-the-world series, hit a home run, and have your face appear on the cover of Sports Illustrated. It's not likely, but it's possible. But a problem-free, no-hassle, blue-sky existence of smooth sailing? Uh-uh, don't hold your breath. Problems happen. They happen to rich people, sexy people, educated people, sophisticated people. They happen to retired people, single people, spiritual people, and secular people. But not all people see problems the same way. Some people are overcome by problems, others overcome problems. Some people are left bitter, others are left better. Some people face their challenges with fear, others with faith. You don't have a choice about having problems, but you do have a choice about what you do with them. Choose faith. In the Archbishop's Corner is where Archbishop Blair offers advice that will help us choose faith in answer to the challenge of any problem. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner, where your invaluable advice encourages faith in answer to life's overwhelming problems. And problems, boy, do we have problems, I guess, you know, with COVID still hanging around. But how are you today? Oh, but COVID seems to be getting better. I do know that if you're one of the people who come down with it, you don't think it's better, understandably, and we hearts go out to them. But I think in general, things to be seem to be getting better, and that's very good. I'm doing fine. Good, good. If you've been fully vaccinated and boosted, your worries are less. Are most priests fully vaccinated and boosted, Archbishop? Oh, yes, yes, very definitely. That's good. There have been some exceptions. Some have had medical situations that uh, called for some caution. Archbishop, we just celebrated Catholic Schools Week. Did you do anything special for Catholic Schools Week? Yes. Well, as you know, we devoted a lot of last week's program to Catholic Schools Week. We were joined by Val Mara from the school's office, who, whose work is deeply appreciated. But uh, this week, I did visit uh, a great school and a high school. I went to St. Thomas the Apostle School in West Hartford. And of course, mm-hmm. the kids are so nice, you know, sweet. They make all kinds of little special things of prayer and art for the bishop and I went to the different classrooms and said hello to them. And um, it's a, always a wonderful thing to experience. And then I uh, went and had mass for the whole East Catholic High School, which was also very fine. Interestingly, it, it fell on the feast of the a presentation of our Lord in the temple, uh, you know, on uh, February 2nd. And uh, that includes the traditional blessing of the of the candles, you know. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, and so I managed to collect, thanks to Monsignor Shanley and some others, at the last minute, uh, 400 candles, uh, nice small ones like we use at Easter, uh, that I, so that I could bless not just a few candles, but all of those to distribute to the students at oh, the high nice. school. And was able to give them a homily about, you know, uh, Christ saying that, 
you know, that you are the light of the world, that, that uh, we have that, it's the light of Christ that we have to share with the world and asking the students to be conscious of their mission in life, uh, to bear witness to the light. So really it was very nice. And of course, I always enjoy seeing our Catholic school uh, kids and, and their teachers and administrators and everyone connected with the, with the school. So I, I would say I had a very good Catholic schools week. Beautiful. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. This is the birth anniversary of one of baseball's greatest heroes and bigger-than-life character, George Herman Babe Ruth. Born on this day back in 1895, the Sultan of Swat hit 714 home runs in 22 major league seasons, played in 10 World Series. 14 of his pro seasons were spent with the New York Yankees. The Bambino retired back in 1935. He died of cancer in 1946. And I don't know about you, Archbishop, but I find it astounding that Babe Ruth made his name in baseball, retired from baseball, and died before you and I were even born, and yet his name was still, for us, synonymous with baseball. Any thoughts? I got news for you. A lot of people were born, lived, and died before you and I were around, well, including many famous people. That's true, but it was almost like their presence still was felt even after they had been gone for so many more years. That's true enough. In baseball, his name is still synonymous with baseball. Am I not correct? Now, I'm going out on a limb here because I vaguely remember, I think it's true, that Babe Ruth was a Knight of Columbus. I wouldn't be surprised. That's something for us to to check out. You know, there are many uh, individuals. President John F. Kennedy was a Knight of Columbus. Mm Mm-hmm. They have a very proud history of, of distinguished people who uh, who have been knights. Monday, February 7th, tomorrow, is the 544th birth anniversary of St. Thomas More. Born on February 7th in 1478, he refused to recognize Henry VIII's divorce from Queen Catherine, was found guilty of treason and imprisoned in the Tower of London, beheaded on July 6th, 1535. Archbishop, do you want to say something about St. Thomas More, man for all seasons, and why the example of his life is so relevant today? I certainly do. Uh, You know, he's uh, kind of the model of uh, a man of the world uh, who was very involved in uh, secular life, you know, with a huge responsibility in the governance of Great Britain, of England at the time. Yet uh, he, uh, for the sake of his conscience and his Catholic faith, gave it all up and wound up dying a martyr. You know, he he had to serve God before he had to serve uh, man. Wouldn't that be something, especially our Catholic politicians, to employ within their lives the service of God rather than the service of man? Wednesday, February 9th, marks the anniversary of a British pop phenomenon that took over America— The Beatles began the British invasion of America with their appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show. They performed five songs before a screaming studio audience of 728, and the estimated viewership for that night's show program was 73 million people, making it the most viewed U.S. TV program in history up to that time. Archbishop, were you a Beatles fan? Well, (laughs) let's put it this way. Yes, I thought their music uh, was uh, engaging and good. Uh, did I uh, go screaming no. <laughs> uh, on the television like so many? No, I didn't do that. I was more reserved in my, even in my youth at that. But, yeah, no, they were they were very talented songwriters and, and recorded a lot of uh, popular songs that have kept their popularity and their value all these years. Certainly made a definite impression on music. 
My sister, of course, who's younger than me, she was all out for the Beatles back then, as so many young girls were in particular. Yeah. I remember, of course, on TV, the Ed Sullivan show that they he could barely he could barely get the audience to stop screaming long enough to hear the music. This is true. I remember that as well. And by the way, in a nod to modernity, Father, while you were talking, although I pay very close attention to your every word, <laughs> I did quickly look on my cell phone, and yes, Babe Ruth was a Catholic, and uh, and he was a, a, a member of the Knights of Columbus, and he was uh, involved in many charitable activities. Thursday, February 10th, commemorates the shipwreck of St. Paul on the north coast of Malta in the year 60 A.D. Now, according to the Acts of the Apostles, Paul was being taken to Rome to be tried as a political rebel. However, the ship carrying him was caught in a violent storm and wrecked on the Maltese coast. All aboard swam safely to land, and Malta is traditionally thought to have been among the first Roman colonies to have completely converted to Christianity. And this is backed up by significant archaeological evidence found in the early catacombs. In Malta, Thursday is a holy day of obligation. The day is a time for family gatherings and observed by religious ceremonies and processions, the main focus of which will be at the Church of St. Paul Shipwreck in Valletta. Any comments? (laughs) Well, I've been to Malta, uh, and it is a very interesting place, particularly from the point of view of history. And English-speaking. Yes, yes. And, of course, uh, during World War II, the Maltese held out against the forces of Germany and Italy very valiantly and were greatly honored for their role in doing that. Uh, and, of course, the Knights of Malta have their the historical churches and palaces and such that, that, that are connected with them. So it's an interesting place to visit. Friday is World Day of the Sick. Introduced by Pope John Paul II as a way for believers to offer prayers for those suffering from illnesses. The day coincides with the commemoration of Our Lady of Lourdes and is an important opportunity for those who serve in the Catholic Health Ministry to reflect on caring for those who are sick as well as those who provide care for them. Archbishop, do you have your own message to those who are sick on this World Day of the Sick? Well, certainly, you know, when we experience the ravages of sin, which includes illness and death, not that it's you know, direct punishment for any one individual's sins, but that we live in this uh, fallen condition. Uh, But we also recognize that Christ is the physician of our bodies and souls, that Jesus went about curing illness as a sign of who he was and calling us to repentance and faith. And, of course, when we encounter the sick, uh, it's uh, an occasion for us to exercise real love for God and neighbor by uh, ministering to them and caring for them and helping them. And if we are sick by our patient endurance for participating in the cross. Illness and diminishment are part and parcel of the human condition, but they also have a profound spiritual dimension, a profound spiritual meaning that uh, we have to uh, interpret and accept and live in faith. Care for the sick has been a huge part. It's one of the corporal works of mercy, and it's been a huge part of the life of the Church from the very mm-hmm. beginning. Well, if- And uh, we still have Catholic health care, we still have hospitals that are dedicated to a Catholic identity and, and a Catholic uh, doing this in the name of faith. And we also have our principles, moral principles of how we provide this. And, uh, you know, at the cathedral right now, we are uh, very proudly and happily working with the Knights of Malta, not just to have a van uh, to provide uh, health services to the uninsured and the poor, but to, but, uh, uh, to, to provide an actual building. Uh, renovated building at the cathedral for this purpose. 
and as I tell our Catholic people every year when we talk about the Archbishop's annual appeal, that part of the significant contribution we make uh, to charity is uh, to the uh, Malta House of Care and how very important that is. You know, tens of thousands of people have been provided uh, over these last uh, years with with uh, with medical, very fine medical uh, consultation and, uh, and care thanks to this uh, this joint effort of the, uh, Knights of Malta, supported by the Archdiocese in part. Also Friday, to go along with World Day of the Sick, is National Shut-In Visitation Day, a day to visit and entertain those unable to leave their homes or residences, created by the late Monsignor Losito of Reading, Pennsylvania. That being the case, Archbishop, how would you recommend that we celebrate National Shut-In Visitation Day? Well, I think for many people, it's a matter of beginning with your own house. That is to say that if any of us have um, relatives or friends who we know to be homebound, to make an effort maybe on this occasion to reach out to them in some way. And maybe it's just a phone call. Of course, with COVID, Mm -hmm. things have become much more problematic. Or it might extend to volunteering at your parish to do something to uh, assist people like that. Again, because of COVID, communion calls have been greatly curtailed, and I, I don't know that we're yet able to, to really uh, return to what we had. But as we come out of this pandemic, I would hope that there'd be many more people interested in visiting uh, the sick in a parish and bringing them Holy Communion. And not only that, but spending time with them. Yes, well, it always involves a little bit of a visit as well, uh, at least most of the time when it's possible. Because, you know, we've created... Uh, Thanks to modern medicine, modern living, we do have a lot of people who live longer uh, and even and, and not only longer, but uh, healthier in the sense that they may not have a debilitating illness. But that doesn't mean that sometimes they aren't still uh, kind of shut up at home uh, because of, of age and circumstances mm-hmm. and maybe have no not many people to talk to or to be with. And so this is all an occasion for us to extend ourselves charitably to other people. Now, I would be remiss and you even more so than I, if we were to forget to mention that Friday, February 11th, is the independence anniversary of Vatican City. On this day, back in 1929, the Lateran Treaty, signed by Pietro Cardinal Gaspari and Benito Mussolini, guaranteed the independence of the state of Vatican City and recognized the sovereignty of the Holy See. Any thoughts? Why would I be remiss? Well, because you spend so much time there. Well, Much more so than I. Yes, but I I had forgotten that little historical tidbit. Well, you know, the church has been in Rome for 2,000 years, and it's gone through everything. So its most recent uh, reality is what we know as Vatican City State, and you're quite correct that that was uh, um, something that was uh, brought into being uh, on that date. Uh, So it gives the Pope a certain uh, independence uh, from uh, other governments, kind of freedom to conduct the affairs of of the church. And, um, well, you know, during World War II, how Pius XII was kind of locked up in there, with, surrounded by Nazi-occupied Rome. Yeah. And that has made for very interesting history and many adventures and uh, tales of uh, courage and, uh, and difficult circumstances for many people. Uh, but today, uh, the Holy Father does have the, that freedom, um, you know, in, in that uh, situation to carry out his worldwide ministry. Now, we've got several questions that have been submitted by our WJMJ listeners, but before we get to those questions, let's look at our Gospel reading on this fifth Sunday in Ordinary Time. 
This is selection is taken from the fifth chapter of Luke's Gospel. And after we hear this Gospel as it is dramatically presented, we'll then ask you for your thoughts, Archbishop. While the people pressed upon Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had ceased speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great shoal of fish. As their nets were breaking, they beckoned to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. Henceforth you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Archbishop, what are your thoughts regarding this little fishing trip on the lake of Gennesaret? Oh, I love this gospel. I mm. think it's wonderful, you know, the call of Simon Peter. And it's filled with uh, wonderful uh, things on the part of our Lord and of St. Peter. You know, Peter saying, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Uh, at th- That uh, Peter, th- the all-too-human St. Peter, that, you know, if we have any illusions about saints being perfect plaster statues, you know, who, who are just uh, paragons of virtue— we know this is not true, that saints are converted sinners. And Peter was very aware that uh, he, of his weakness and sinfulness. And, of course, we know that he would deny Christ three times, as Christ foretold that he would. But yet, Jesus had said, when you, when you turn again, you must strengthen your brethren. In other words, once you get over this and, I, and are forgiven this terrible uh, denial, uh, I will help you and you will be the rock on which I build my church. You know, and the other thing is, a, a statement for our times, what Jesus said to Peter, put out into the deep and lower your nets for a catch. Uh, and Peter says, we've been working hard and caught nothing, but at your word, I will do what, what you say. Uh, well, that's that's the motto for our times, because mm-hmm. we all know uh, today when it comes to religious faith, when it comes to the practice of, of our Catholic faith, people coming to church, uh, practicing their faith, uh, we could say, uh, Master, we who are, you know, your servants in preaching the gospel, we work hard sometimes, and there's not much to show for it. But uh, if we lower the nets, as Jesus tells us to, then we can be sure to be of having a, a catch. And Jesus said to Peter, from now on, you will be catching men. In other words, you will be out there um, bringing people into the into the net that that is Christ, uh, the net that brings people into faith and and salvation. So what does it mean for us then in terms of evangelization and vocations even for us to lower the nets? Well, at the turn of the millennium, you know, it was Pope St. John Paul who who quoted this gospel as a major kind of uh, punchline 
uh, in Latin, it sounds funny, you know, duke in altum, uh, and it means put out into the deep. Uh, and that was what the late, great, sainted pontiff said to us, that amid all the challenges that we face in the world today as believers, as Catholics, facing a new century, a new millennium, we have to do what uh, Jesus told Peter to do, to duke in altum, to go and put out into the deep water and lower your nets for a catch. And, of course, Pope Francis also has taken up this theme very much with the emphasis on the deep water, that uh, we have to go to the peripheries, we have to go, we can't just be comfortably in our churches and think people are going to come to us, but we have to go out far from shore where the water's deep, and we have to take some risks and chances out there. Uh, But if we do that with faith, then uh, we will have uh, a catch uh, for the Lord. And as Jesus said to Peter, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men, uh, people. And that's what that's what we have to be doing. At first, Simon Peter uh, objected to what the Lord says, put out into the deep, lower your nets. At first, Simon objected, but then he gave in. They caught such a great number that their nets were tearing and the boats were in danger of sinking. What does this tell us about our lives when we actually follow the Lord's instruction? Huh? Well, you know, it all belongs to God. It's not our work. We we have to we have to have faith and we have to do what the Lord says and persevere at it. But the big picture of how whether we appear to succeed or fail, or you know, sometimes it's a matter to use another image of uh, planting, sowing, and planting. Sometimes we don't see the live to see the growth. We don't know the eventual effect of what we've done. But that's not our business. The, that belongs to God. And uh, so we just are faithful and do what we're asked to do with trust. Let's look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance, Karen from Wolcott says, Why can we not receive the Eucharist by intinction? At one time it was permitted, so why has it been stopped? Well, Karen, that's an interesting question. You know, for many centuries, the practice of distributing communion under both forms, uh, the form of bread and the form of wine, was discontinued in the Western Church. It never ceased in the Eastern Church. So the Eastern Church, Eastern Catholic and Eastern Orthodox, communion is distributed by uh, a spoon that uh, the, uh, f- the the fragments of bread, the consecrated bread, are in, in uh, wine, and that is dipped onto your tongue uh, that you receive both in that manner. But in the Western Church... It was, uh, for many reasons, it fell out of use. Now, we understand that the Church has always taught uh, that to receive one species is to receive the whole Christ. That's why, you know, sometimes we hear about people who have uh, the celiac disease or whatever. The custom is, of course, to, to have hosts that are, that are low, uh, extremely low gluten to give to them. But if that were not available, they could just as easily receive communion just under the form of wine from the chalice. And that would be as much receiving the whole Christ, uh, receiving all communion, as if they received only the host and not the chalice. So, the but the point is, uh, uh, why is it? Uh, the question is, why is intinction been stopped? Well, I guess the uh, the liturgists in our uh, country, in particular, uh, persuaded the bishops that it was better to offer communion uh, from the chalice rather than just by intinction. But it's never been. Uh, uh, stopped in the sense that the, the church recognizes communion by intinction as a possibility. And quite honestly, during COVID, uh, even we priests have been receiving mm-hmm. by intinction, because if I can celebrate with two or three priests, 
and we're all going to receive from the chalice, I would receive at first, if I'm the main celebrant, I would receive by intinction myself. I would dip the host into the chalice and receive, because for the priest who's celebrating Mass, you have to receive under both forms. Bring the, the sacrifice of, of the Mass uh, to its completion, and then the priest who drank after me, the last one, would consume and actually drink from the chalice. So it's, it's certainly there, uh, to, to, uh, uh, and it can be used, but it's not the favored uh, or, or the, the normal way that we would distribute it in the United States anymore, even though we did for a time. Uh, quite honestly, I prefer intinction myself, uh, but then I, it's not entirely up to me. Mark from Hamden says, I read an interesting article recently concerning the conflict between Ukraine and Russia. The Pope has called for peace, but St. Augustine's 4th century just war theory recognizes a, pot- a potentially just reason to engage in war under certain conditions. Can you clarify where the Church stands on the morality of war? Well, I, I try, I'll try because it's complicated, yeah. but uh, yes, I mean, uh, if you go to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, you will find this. It's the longstanding tradition of the, of the Church that war is a, a horrible and evil thing. It involves killing people and such, but to, to put it very simply, just as, as uh, if somebody attacks you on the street and you have a gun and as a last resort you have no other means to preserve your own life, you shoot that person, you would not be considered morally culpable for it. So similarly, if a country is uh, a war is made upon it, it has the right to defend itself, uh, even though that means war. But uh, war, uh, and I suppose it gets complicated because sometimes uh, wars are undertaken to try to protect other people or undo some horrible uh, injustice, you know. Uh, but uh, you you don't you can't just morally start a war because you want to take some other country over or because you want to uh, rob that country of its resources or whatever. And there are other nuances to it as well uh, about uh, proportionality and such that I would recommend, Mark, that you look at the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's not unduly complicated what is said in the Catechism about this. And Jen from Ansonia says, How many times a day is it permissible for someone to receive communion? Would I be able to receive communion? at a daily Mass on Saturday morning and then again at the Vigil Mass that evening? Or can I receive communion at the Saturday evening Mass and then again at the Sunday morning Mass? Well, I would say yes to both because uh, they're two different uh, celebrations. So, you you know, what you go to on Saturday morning is the Mass of Saturday. Then you fulfill your Sunday obligation on Sunday on Saturday evening. Well, that's perfectly per- permissible. What the Church is saying is you you can't, you should not just be keep going to Masses to receive Holy Communion. Uh, that's mis- a misguided uh, piety, you know. So if, if you went to, to more than one Mass on Sunday morning, uh, now the priest has to receive uh, if he has more than one Mass because it's part and parcel of confecting the Eucharistic sacrifice as the priest. But it would be a misplaced kind of piety or devotion to be multiplying a com- uh, reception of Communion unduly. And let's see if we can't get in one more question, Archbishop. Larry from Hartford says, At least once a week as I leave my office, a panhandler looking for money approaches me. I ignore the request, but a part of me always feels guilty because I think of the Bible, quote, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I give generously to charitable groups, but I'm leery to donate directly to someone that I'm not sure will use my money for good. 
Do we as Christians have the responsibility to help everyone that asks, or is there an ethical way for us to discern these requests? Well, Larry, that's a, a tough one. I, uh, I I understand what you're saying because we all encounter it, although we don't encounter it here as much as many parts of the world, you know, where where the people, there really are a lot of people on the street asking for, for uh, help. I obviously I give try to give generously to, to different uh, causes uh, in the church that that provide charitable assistance to people in need when I'm on the street uh, in my car if I encounter somebody like that I I try to uh, you know to give them something you know if the light doesn't change too quickly uh, and, and I am there and I can do it I'll unroll the window and I'll give them something uh, around the street and but you know as far as whether they're uh, whether they what they're going to do with that money whether you know or that's that's that you shouldn't worry about that that's for God to to know uh, what's important is that you know that you're you're doing it out of the right the the right reason and and God will bless you for that and I think we have to always presume good of people unless we have evidence to the contrary that they will use the money for good that they really need it. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Lord God, we turn to you as always for all that we have and all that we are, asking your blessing on us, that we will open our eyes by your grace to the things that are truly important in life, and that we will also be ever conscious of our baptismal mission uh, to do as St. Peter did, to go out into the deep and to make a catch for the gospel, that by our lives, by what we say and do, we may draw other people to uh, faith. We may draw other people closer to you, Lord Jesus, who are the way, the truth, and the life. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward again to join you next week at the same time. Until then, have a wonderful week. You too. Thank you. Thank you.